but let's open in prayer. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that we can know him and we call him my Savior, my Lord. And know that we know him. And he fills our mind with thoughts. We thank you. He wraps his arms around us and comforts us. Thank you for that goodness, that kindness. And we ask this morning that you would open up our eyes to your scripture. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here that does not know you personally, intimately, God, I ask that you would just open up their heart this morning. So Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I title this message, The Soldier's Confidence. And I think that's important to understand. I've been looking at 2 Timothy a little different than I do sometimes the scripture, and, and I see this focus upon a soldier. Each one of us are a soldier in, in Christ Jesus. There's times that we stand firm in the Lord. Sometimes we, we put out the, the fiery darts. There's all kinds of examples we, we've talked about in, in the scripture. But a soldier needs to have confidence in the one that he's following. And, and Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. He's the one that we follow. There's a passage, it's a favorite of mine in the Old Testament. Uh, it's in the, the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 3. Now the children of Israel are about to come into the promised land, do you remember? And they're sitting beside the Jordan waiting for, again, the Ark of the Covenant move. Now, the, the water is getting higher than Jordan, but they're instructed to wait. Wait until you see the, the moving of the Ark. When the priests take the Ark and they go, you're to follow, but to keep a distance between it and you, you're going to a place you've never been. Well, the Ark represents the presence of God. And we need to follow him wherever he goes. No matter what those conditions are, we follow him. We trust in him. We rest in him. In fact, in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that we're strive to enter into his rest. That means work at resting in Jesus Christ. Because really the battle is the Lord's. And he's the one that we need to trust in. He's the one that we need to, to look to. And that we should have confidence no matter what we're going into, whether it's a storm or it looks wonderful, that, that our faith rests in him. We have a confidence that, that, that he's going to lead us. He's going to provide for us. That we already have victory in him. That when you and I pass from this world or a, a child passes from this world, that we know that we will see that child again. See, that's a crisis of faith when one loses a child. I was looking at a, a, a DVD yesterday and I was describing a testimony of this man. He was out and, and working in the, the snow and shoveling the snow out of the way. 
His wife says, let me move the car so it'd be easier. And the, the little boy follows and the girl stayed with him. But the girl at the last minute decided she wanted to follow. She wanted to get in the car. She wanted to go with mom. And he didn't notice that she turned and ran. And the mother backed over that little child, 18 months old. I can't imagine what it would be like to experience that. A crisis began at that point in his life. How could a good God even allow such a thing? And do you know those fiery darts that come? And as he proceeded, I'm going to move quickly to the end. He realized he doesn't have all the answers in this life. But he knows that God will take out of the most evil, dark situation and use it for good. We know Romans 8.28, all things work for the good for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. In the Old Testament, we have Joseph who was sold into bondage in Egypt. Speaking to his brothers that sold him into bondage, he says, what you meant for evil... God used for good. We don't have all the answers. And I actually shy away from the one that has all the answers. There's only one that has the answer. That's Jesus Christ. It's him that we come to. It's him that we learn to cleave to. And realize the whole time we think we're cleaving to him, he's the one that holds us. He's the one that sustains us and keeps us until that day. It's very important that you have confidence in the one that you're going to follow. Jesus is God, God in the flesh. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no way to the Father but through me. That's our hope. But that hope is not, hope maybe that's going to happen. It is in our mind for sure that when we close our eyes in this world, our family, our friends, we will open them up and behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to this text here today, it's, it's interesting because this text was, many have said it was, it was really like a hymn. Some say it was even more or less a, a chant, something that they recited. Those can be good. Hymns are great. We sing hymns from time to time, mix it up. I'm a little, feel a little awkward sometimes with chants because sometimes people just repeat chants so much it, it has no meaning to it. But it's something that the, the church knew very well. Let me read our text, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. It says, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Paul here makes four really powerful statements in, in these three verses. It's, it, it begins with this preference, a, a trustworthy statement. In some translations it uses, it's a trustworthy 
faithful. The word is the same word in the original language, but, but sometimes translators translate different. The meaning is the same. This trustworthy, something that you can rest upon. It's, it's reminding, again, Paul, when he writes this, to Timothy, again, that these truths are reliable and they're trustworthy. See, this is one of the reasons we encourage you to open the Bible. We'll put the screens on here because we want you to see it firsthand. This is God's word. And Jesus Christ is the living word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among them. And of course, we know he went to the cross sinless and died for you and me and raised on that third day, showing that the Father accepted that sacrifice. That you and I have a way to heaven. Now, we can have the confidence, is what he's saying, in these promises. Some are positive. And some are negative. And it's interesting as, as we look at it, it's, it's been said these scenes are probably part, as I, I mentioned, again, the, the early church, whether it's chanting or, again, singing. The fact is they knew them well. And that's what we need to do is take the word of God and hide it in our hearts that we don't sin against them. And one of the greatest ways is take this word, whatever you're struggling in, that might address that and, and take that. And remember, whether you sing it or not. I know in the crisis in my life from time to time that I've gone through that when I've done that, I've found myself making up songs with Scripture. And they're wonderful to my own ears, but you would not want to hear me sing them. They were trustworthy sayings. And they sustained me, kept me, and my faith became stronger and richer, and Jesus Christ became bigger and more wonderful than I could ever imagine. And this is the same for you when you take that word and hide it in your heart. Well, the first thing I want to call your attention to is really in verse 11. There's a guaranteed resurrection. Look at verse 11 again in our text. It says, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. It's interesting, this, this trustworthy statement. And again, depending on the translation, sometimes the word is, is trustworthy. Sometimes it's faithful. But five times it's very important that you can find these truthful, trustworthy, faithful saying. You find it in 1 Timothy 1.15, again in chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse 9, and 2 Timothy here in verses 11 and 13, and when we get to Titus, chapter 3, verse 8. These are the things that we need to focus upon. These are the things that we need to lock our eyes upon. Now, God will speak to all of us if we'll only listen. In fact, as I was praying earlier, in the scripture says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And sometimes, church, that's the people we don't always want to hear. Now, God speaks in different ways to each of us. One of the ways I do, because I'm a picture kind of person, and that is that it's almost like God takes when I'm reading a highlighter and highlights a verse and it just stands out. 
In my mind's eye, I've seen it where all of a sudden the letters, and, the, and I've seen people do it at PowerPoint where it gets big and bold and it goes way out like this and comes back in. But he's saying, look at this. Think upon this. Marinate your mind with this. This is the comfort you'll find knowing that this rests in Him. He is our Lord. He is our, our Savior. Again, notice again it says, for if we died... If we died with him. Now, this, this if here is not a, a hypothetical one. and it Really, in some translations, they've actually put the word, which is, I think, probably better since. Since we've died with Christ Jesus. Let me ask you the question. Have you died with Christ Jesus? Do you understand what that means? The idea is that, that we have identified so much with Jesus Christ, we have died with him symbolically in our minds. Now, when Jesus Christ, I make a right turn here, but to kind of show you, was baptized, when John the, the Baptist was baptized in the River Jordan, and he was doing... Again, the, the baptism of repentance. Please understand that. Jesus Christ was sinless. He didn't need to repent of anything. So why was it necessary that he fulfill righteousness when he was baptized? Because he was identifying with sinful man. Your sins. My sins. Your past. Your present sins. Identification is a big thing that's in the scripture. That he would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Likewise, when we recognize that Jesus went to the cross and died for you and for me. We identify with. When a person's baptized, you'll find it again in Romans chapter 6. It, it talks about we've been buried with him and raised in this newness of life. It's identification. We know we're sinners. We know we can't save ourselves. We die to the old man in this sense. Identification. What Jesus has done for us. And we're raised in the newness of life. We are new creature in Christ. And when this occurs in our minds, in our hearts, the Father sees us in Jesus Christ. He sees us just as we've never sinned. Again, because we've died with him is what it's saying in another sense. We understand why Paul could face death the way he did. A lot of people struggle facing death or their loved ones, their parents or grandparents or children. And certainly that is hard for all of us. But there is life after death. And that is one of the most precious, wonderful thoughts that you and I could ever imagine. I know that I will see my grandparents. I know those loved ones that have gone before. I will see them. 
without any sin. See, no other religion offers that. Life is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So when, again, a person identifies with his death, God sees us again in God's sight. We've died too. When he, again, was raised, God sees us raised in his son, Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus Christ has passed from death to life, we have symbolically, and the day will come, that we truly will pass in to all eternity and behold the beauty of the Lord. Paul is simply reminding of this, not to fear death, but to fear those who do not know the Lord and share the truth. Ground them in who he is. And Colossians 3.3 3 says this, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There we go. And in Galatians, look with me, chapter 5, verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. Let me read that again. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Anybody have problem with passions and desires? Here's a hint. There's a point we need to realize, and we're going to see it in a moment, that we need to reckon ourselves dead to those passions and those desires. Has anyone ever ring the head on a chicken and then watch it run around? You know, it's still got the nerves, and it's like, it's dead. But the nerves are still causing it to run around. Eventually, it falls over. You're like that chicken. It's only a matter of time. This tent, this body is gone. To be absent the body is to be present with the Lord. And we need, at this point, to reckon ourselves dead to those passions and desires. First of all, I think it's very important that we recognize that we have a temptation of passion and desire. How many struggle with these things? Thou shalt not lie. Every hand should go up because every one of us have a struggle in some way. Half the battle is recognizing you got the problem. The next part is just giving it now over to Jesus and know that you're not fighting for victory. You're already victorious in Christ Jesus and he will give you the strength in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul's, Paul is talking about dying to self and living in Christ. Paul would say, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Daily, he had to reckon himself dead to those passions, to that anger, whatever it may be. Again, Romans 6, 8, look with me. Now, if we have died with Christ, there's that identification, we believe that we shall also live with him. See, this is this confidence that we will live. I am getting a new body, and guess what? Now, quote, these are my opinion. It's going to be about 33 years old, the prime of my life. I won't have all this extra chunk. I won't have any problems with the body, but it's going to be a body fashion for eternity with no pains. God has planned so much 
for you and me. This world, in reality, offers you nothing of any value. God offers you everything. Now, I'm reading here in the, in the King James Version. We'll go up on the screen here. It's, it's Romans 6, 11. I like the wording better. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the first verses that I learned. The New American Standard says, consider yourself dead. Here, I like the word reckon. It's something I've got to do. I, I've got to decide I'm going to die to this. And allow Christ to live through me. Now again, as we've been talking about, this is called identification. When we identify with Christ through our abiding trust. Now, we abide in him. We die to sin. We die to the world. We die to self. That's important to understand. And God then raises us in a new kind, a new life, a wonderful work of what's called regeneration. When a person's been born again, they're regenerated. And we now have the power within us, the Holy Spirit, to be overcomers, and we need to recognize we're overcomers and reckon ourselves dead. Let me read Romans again, 12 and 13. I'm going to read it this time in the New American Standard. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so as to obey its lust. Do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Now, I like the way he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And then in verse 13, do not go on presenting yourself, members. That's what we do. We just, we just submit ourselves to our fleshly desires and just satisfy ourselves. And it begins with one little thing, justifying it, and pretty soon we're so deep in our own sin. We don't realize where we've got and how we got there. Think of it in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, able to eat of anything in the garden except for one tree. One tree, and God told them, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Eve bought the lie of Satan and said, oh, he really didn't say you would die. Their eyes were open, and they hid from God. They recognized that sin. That's what we do. We recognize that sin. And God provided again a sacrifice. Oh, it doesn't say sacrifice, but he brought animal skins. If he brought animal skins, there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be blood. And the teaching would begin through the whole scripture that they were atoned for. And they would learn to rest and trust in Jesus Christ. Look again what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, that the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, the power is in Christ living and letting him live in you and me. 
recognizing your weakness, recognizing I need to identify with him and allow him to live and take control of yourselves. Today I passed out a little copy of something that's called My Home is uh, My Heart is Christ Home. A great illustration of that. Read it, pass it on to someone else. Well, it's not enough just to declare you're crucified and dead. You must reckon yourself dead to these desires. See, there's God's part. God's made the provision. Your part is, hey, I no longer have to be tempted by this. I no longer have to sin. The power of the Holy Spirit is in you, and he will give you the strength if you only turn away from these things. Now, again, what I need to do is reckon. Reckon means to be true, true in our life, or it would be like if you took your checkbook and you reconciled it with the bank. Bring it in the line. And, and the fact is, God says you have died. He sees you that you've died with Christ, raised with Christ. And, and when you reckon yourself dead, you're coming in line with what God has already said about you. Because he sees you in Christ Jesus. It begins with a decision. Can I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? He gives you the faith to believe. He gives you the faith to reckon yourself dead, but you have to choose to do it. God has already declared it. He sees you just as you've never sinned. The only thing that's left is for you and I to bring our lives in line with what God has already said about you. There's a song that we haven't done for a long time. You are guilty no more. In God's eyes, he sees you blameless and sinless in Christ Jesus. Now we bring our lie in line with him. We're guaranteed this resurrection is the thing. John 12, 24 and 25 says this, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. Eternal is interesting. Eternal, we think of length of time. I don't know if I want to live for eternity. But it's not just meaning a length of time it's a quality of life wouldn't you like a better life a life without pain and sorrow and suffering a, a life that knows and understands that when you and I get to have it, all these things we've never understood we will understand we will see parts of God things about God that we've never understood but now we'll understand we think he's beautiful now and all that he's done but when we get there, it's going to be exceedingly, abundantly more than you and I could ever imagine. It's really a focus point for you and me that, that one day that we will be raised in this newness of life. It, it should be a driving force for us. Excitement. The world, no religion, 
offer that. This is the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. A soldier needs that, that confidence and knowing that we will have a life and it. it's exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever, ever imagine. And it is a trustworthy statement. Since we've died with him, since we have identified with his death, we will also live with him. John eleven twenty six says this, and everyone who lives believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Have you ever thought about it? If you were to die, one second after you die, what next? God has planned so much for you, you can't even imagine. You do not die. You only begin life in a life that you never, ever could imagine. This gives the confidence to move through. This is what gives the confidence for those that have been martyrs, that have died for their faith. They will not recant their belief because they know they will be caught up to be with the Lord one day. You and I need that confidence. Not only do we have that, that guarantee of resurrection, there's one more thing I want to call to call your attention to it's in verse 12 we have this guarantee that we will reign with him look at verse 12 if we endure we will also reign with him now it's interesting the word uh, suffer is 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 from this a compound word and it's interesting it means to be under abide in to to remain under the idea is if, if we endure this life, whatever we're going through, if we're faithful, we persevere. And remember, it's God who makes you faithful. You're not faithful on your own. I thank God for what God is doing in your life. God is at work in your life, and it's evident. This is what a person has confidence in. We see that work of God. God is the one that strengthens you, encourages you, keeps you moving down that path when you don't even know what's down that path or what's ahead. And sometimes we're fearful of that path we're going down. Can we agree on that? Sometimes I am a little petty thing like this knee problem I've gone through. I just want to know a date. I want to have something to look for. No one, we don't like that fact that we don't know what's going to happen. But you know what, with Lord, we know. We know that we will have a new life, a better life, and we will reign with him. And the idea is if we endure with him, we persevere with him, we continue in him, we abide in him. John 8:31 says this so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine. Look at that again. If you continue in my word, 
then you're truly disciples of mine. There, there are many people who profess the name of Jesus Christ, but not everyone who professes that name of Jesus Christ is a believer. He says, if you continue my word, the idea is, first of all, you know it, and then you walk it out in your life. Then you truly are my disciples. These, these guaranteed resurrection and, and this thing that we will be with them, this confidence we have, is because we're truly disciples. We put our faith and trust in Jesus and confidence. Faith comes by hearing the word, hearing the word of God. We need to hear the whole counsel of God's word. We need to read from cover to cover. It's not depending upon a pastor. Yes, God's given teachers, and, and I understand that. But you need to hear God personally. You need to spend time with God personally because he, the Holy Spirit, is the one that will open up your mind. Faith comes by hearing, hear the word of God. He chose not to hear. He chose to focus upon what he didn't understand and dwell there. The soldier has confidence. He has a confidence because he knows God personally. John 17, 3, the focus is, this is eternal life, knowing God. Not just knowing the word, knowing God. Our confidence is not in the word itself, but in God. God who is, again, the word became flesh, but knowing he is truth. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But it's a choice you make. Matthew 25:21 says this, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things, enter into the joy of the master. Now, this is important to understand here that, that you and I, one day when we are caught up as believers, you will reign, you will co-reign with him. You'll be given these responsibilities based upon what you do in this life. Are you faithful to Jesus Christ? If that is your desire, you cry out to God, God, make me faithful, and he will make you faithful. He will give you opportunities. When you're not faithful, I'm sure all of us experience that. Okay. Lord, forgive me. Help me be faithful. Help me trust in you. Sometimes he'll bring people into your life to be accountability, but he will gird you. He will strengthen you. Notice again, we're to be a faithful servant. We check in to him. See, this is the faithfulness. If we, if we endure, life is difficult. Would we agree? It's not a bowl of cherries. It's unexplainable sometimes the things that you and I might see on the news. But God remains faithful no matter what is happening in this world. God allows these things to happen, again, to bring good out of these things. Even though I do not understand these things, God is the one that's in sovereign control. Now, 
The problem, one of the problems that we experience in Christianity is Christianity has often adopted this doctrine that is damaging, and that is, again, that God wants you to, to be rich or the pursuit of comfort or ease. All who desire to live godly will be... One more time. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. That doesn't sound like it's going to be easy. It's not laughing at a bumper sticker. If you're living for Christ and you're being faithful, their people will turn away from you. Your friends will not want to speak to you sometimes. We do not understand. But God is working in this world all the time, all around, and we just need to look to see what he wants to do. Christian life is often a life of struggle, suffering, hardship. We're spit upon sometimes, and, and this is only talking in this country, cheated by our own family sometimes, excommunicated by our family. But God remains faithful. There's a confidence that we keep our eyes upon the author and finisher of faith that he will provide exactly what you need. He's preparing you for tomorrow, the next day, that you will endure because you're kept by him. If you let him, he'll fill you with joy. He'll fill you with thanksgiving when the world can't figure out why you're so full of joy because we have this confidence in our Savior so the soldier is confident again that there's going to be a resurrection a, a physical resurrection a, a body fashion for all eternity that if we reign or endure or persevere with him we will reign with him well that's the positive Here's a, here's a negative in a, in a sense. Also in verse 12, it, it's really a, a guaranteed reaction. Paul warned, in fact, if, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Uh, Matthew 12, 20 says this. A battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice in victory. I imagine this is probably a, a really important verse, a, even a, a common verse that you look to. Now, it's interesting. He says a, a battered reed he will not break off. Uh, reeds were used again by the shepherds so often, and they, were, they would be like a flute. But if it, was, if it was broken or bent a little bit or it didn't play the sound the way they wanted, they just didn't throw it away like we're in this society to just throw something away and buy something new. No, he would do everything he could to fix it. Only when it was unable to be fixed, then he would dispose of it. This is speaking about Jesus when somebody is weak, somebody who has, has been damaged by life, Maybe a loss of, of a loved one and, and, and maybe abused in some way as a, a child. 
God will fan that flame in them, do everything that he can in order to give hope to that one. And then look again, a smoldering wick. You know when you put out a, a candle, if you burned a candle at home, the, there's been a, a glow and it's bright and it, it lights the room. But when you put it out, kind of like a little bit of glow and smoke goes up. But again, he fans it, he blows on it, he does everything he can to that weak person in the body of Christ. There, many of us are very weak. You don't know how hard it is for pastors to be in front of a congregation, even for worship leaders to be in front of a congregation, there's a, a battle going on and, and there's in their hearts we're not worthy to stand before and open the word and, and share with people. And yet what he does is he fans the flame in our life. What it's talking about those people in the world that are so weak that, that the world will say, you know, they're nothing. Just dispose of them. God says, no. See, we have to interpret these scriptures in, in light of who Jesus is because notice again, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's important to understand. Let me read in Matthew twenty six seventy four, And this is speaking of Peter denying Jesus Christ. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And three times, again, Peter denied Jesus. Jesus spoke and, and warned him of this. But Peter had confidence in his own flesh. Sadly, in his, his own flesh. And, and he denied Jesus. It's not talking about these. Every one of us here have had a, a moment when we question. God, are you really there? God, is it really heaven? Am I really saved? It's not talking about that. This word deny is much more. This is one that, again, is not speaking about weakness of, of Paul or that doubt at that moment or whether you really believe or trust in Jesus. But every one of us, again, have this moment of, of weakness. But this is talking about the one who falls away, the one who chooses to walk away, the one that never comes back. Now, God is so gracious if on his deathbed even he would cry out, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me. He would be taken to be with him. But this denial here is the one that is hardened, is chose to react and he denies Jesus and he says if you deny me I will deny you again when you and I have a lapse of faith for a moment a doubt that comes in the enemy you know fills your mind with it you react you play with the thought for a moment but but we always return back to Jesus it's not talking about that in fact if you in a situation like that, if you lost a loved one, as I mentioned, he knows what you're going through. He's a sympathetic high priest who understands. But he's talking about the one that walks away, that becomes an enemy, and never returns. See, Paul warned, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, who's he speaking to? 
Notice again, he uses the word us and we. He's talking to those within the body of Christ, those in this congregation, those that were in Ephesus. These were believers. Some believed that he was writing because we know it's a corrective epistle. They were considering walking away. They were listening to the false teachers. They had itching ears that we'll see later on in another passage. Here's the facts. If you guys do deny me, I will deny you. A lot of people choose to walk away. They'll say a sinner's prayer and walk away and never come back. He's talking about that kind of person. The we and the us, well, the, it's this language again. He's talking to the body of Christ. Now that word, again, as I mentioned, deny, it's, it's not just someone who has a lapse of faith. It means, again, to disown. Reject, renounce. The word actually has this idea of final and permanent denial, leaving and never coming back. There's a lot of people that you may know in this community, I know in every community, that feel like they've sinned against God and God could never forgive them. And I say when a person says that, they are a prime candidate for God's grace and mercy. The only thing that will not be forgiven is that continual rejection that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. But if that person would only come to their senses and then come back to him. Titus 1.16 says this, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Being detestable, disobedient, worthless for any good deed. There are many, as I mentioned before, who profess Jesus Christ, but they don't possess that relationship. If you possess a relationship with Jesus Christ, it will reflect in the way, if you have kids, how you treat your kids, your neighbors, your friends, your family. You will reflect Christ Jesus. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now, here's the idea. Again, we looked at the positive. You can have confidence in the fact that you'll be raised, that you will reign with him. But there's also a confidence in another way. If you deny him, hey, Bud, you're out. There is no hope. This is more or less, I believe, though, for the one who is considering walking away because they have never taken that other foot out of the world. See, confession of Christ here involves a a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have confessed Jesus Christ, then you should walk as he walks. Like Jesus... I do the things that I see my father doing. I only do the things that my father has said. In this case, many of those early martyrs demonstrated their true faith. Those who deny Jesus Christ, who choose not to trust in him as a savior, they will be be denied 
again by Christ, but they will be as what's called the white throne judgment, where unbelievers are, are brought. Now, 1 John 2.28 says this, Now, little children, abide in him so that he, when he appears, we may have confidence not to shrink away from him in shame of his coming. You know, sometimes I just don't really feel good enough. Anyone else know that? It, it, there's no goodness in here. The Bible's very clear. My heart's wickedly deceitful above all things who know it. If you don't agree with that, you, you need to reevaluate your own relationship with Jesus Christ because that's the truth. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That's very important. We recognize But we don't need to let that overwhelm us because our faith is in God. That's our, our comfort. That's our hope. We know we are his workmanship, and he will finish the work that he's begun in our lives. Our, so our hope is resting in him. There is a guaranteed reaction. Again, if we deny him, yeah, there will be that white throne judgment. Again, there is also a guarantee of refuge or judgment. As I've already mentioned judgment. It's in verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The words are startling. In fact, it, it is probably one of the most abused passages in the Bible. There are those that profess to be believers that have sinned grossly and don't think much about it. Now, they're professing. Well, when I'm faithless, he's faithful. Like God's just going to go on and accept it. And they habitually, continually walk in a sinful lifestyle. There's no fruit in their life and they use it. But this is not what this passage is teaching. Now, it's true in one sense, not from this passage. If you have a moment, a lapse of faith, God understands that. He knows that. He'll sustain you. He'll keep you. But this idea, again, is as if we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. If you choose a lifestyle of sin and rebellion, arrogance and pride, then he will judge you because he is a holy, righteous judge. One of the ideas of a spiritual attack is he wants to distract, that is the enemy, from you bringing the truth of God's word. The greatest spiritual attack, I know I'm going away here for a second here, is when I've taught on Satan. Because people don't have a real view of who Satan is. Oliver B. Green called these people who are professors he called them unbelieving believers. It's easy to believe in God for salvation. But what about when he calls you to commitment? What about when he calls you again to pick up your cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him daily? Do you trust him for that? What about when he says all men ought to pray always. Do you trust him for that? 
See, he speaks through the scripture to tell us what our lives are to look like. But do we trust him? We trust him for salvation, but do we trust him really to finish that work in us? He's given us the great commission that we're to go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do we trust him? It's real easy just to profess we believe, profess that we have a relationship. The Bible's clear that you'll know them by their fruit. Do people know you as a Christian, a believer? Oh, not perfect, but that you love them with all your heart and your mind and soul and strength. John 10, 27 and 29 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. We know we have refuge. It's in Christ. The the soldier has this confidence. You'll blow it and I'll blow it. You'll go through painful times, hurtful times. But if you're a true believer, he will keep you. But sadly, those who profess their faith, that judgment. Herbert writes, the central truth of these pithy statements is the fact that in Christ identifies the believer with him in everything, while unbelief just separates men from him. See, that's what happens is when you have this unbelief, this doubt. Every one of us have doubted Christ at some point. Doubt our faith. That separates us. This is what the enemy wants to put doubt in you. This is why Paul said, I can do all things in Christ and strengthen me. He refused to let that doubt fill his mind. He was going to continually press on and press into Christ Jesus. No matter what's going on, he was going to remain, even if it meant that he would be going up in smoke or his head was cut off. He was going to praise God until that last moment because he had that confidence. The soldier is confident of his resurrection, his reign, and Christ Jesus come and take up to himself one day. Listen again to 2 Timothy 1.12. For this reason I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What moved Paul along is his confidence in Christ Jesus knowing that he's kept, knowing he'll finish the race. But it's not just enough just to keep pressing on and pressing in. Hebrews, the author, writes in chapter 10, verse 23 and 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. See, the believer here, you hold to that faith, 
You have this confidence, but we are so confident that we're to kind of provoke one and stir up the body of Christ. What is God doing in your life? How are you serving him? What's God doing in your neighborhood? Encourage him to be in fellowship when you see somebody's not in fellowship regularly. These people have the confidence they'll hear those words, good and faithful servant. But sadly, the unbelieving believer, referring to the apostate I mentioned, who will deny Jesus Christ, which is his or her future is very bleak. And what I mean by that, they will be separated from God they will be separated from everything good in this life for all eternity. Where you and I will have a quality of life. Those who deny him will not have a quality. Maybe a quality of misery. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you are faithful to keep us. Thank you that you've got us through this message today. And Lord, I pray that this message will continually today, the days to come, saturate our minds, that these verses will come back to us often and Lord, we'll focus upon what we have in you, that with that confident faith, thank you and praise you for what you've done and in fact, what you're going to do, that one day that we will be standing before you with those that have gone before us, those that will come after us, those who have trusted in you, because your promises are all true, and they're amen. So Lord, bless these brothers and sisters with who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.